And if we could open our Bibles in the book of Ephesians, once again, in chapter 2. And this morning we're just going to look at one verse of Scripture, Ephesians 2.10. I think it's a verse that the main point of it is, is sort of very clear. But if you scratch a little bit deeper, it, uh, it get, gets richer. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it seems clear that uh, the most obvious application of this is that God wants his people to do good works. And... Uh, so we look at it and we say, okay, God wants us to do good works, and we sort of close the book at that point, and we, we get busy going and doing our good works. But I think what the verse is really saying to us, and what Paul is really trying to say at the end of this paragraph, all about grace and all about redemption, God is trying to some, say something about giving credit where credit is due, and that God is claiming all the credit for everything good in you. That all the credit for everything good in you belongs to God. Um, I uh, have been experiencing this truth uh, in my own life uh, for years. I, I was a new Christian in 1978 at the University of Wisconsin at Madison, and I joined a summer project that was being put on by Campus Crusade for Christ at our university. There were about 30 students from all over the country who were reaching out to international students. And so we were all living in a fraternity house that was rented for the purpose, and there were some Campus Crusade staff members who were there who were organizing the project, and then they were going to leave about halfway through, and we students were going to remain and continue on and and finish the project, doing outreach to international students. And... uh, I came to understand that the staff were going to appoint some of the students for leadership positions within the, uh, the group uh, before their departure. And as I looked around at the other students and got to know people, I realized that I was head and above the rest. And uh, that, you know, spiritually and, and just in many ways, that I was really gifted and appropriate for a, a, a leadership position And I was truly stunned and shocked uh, when when it was revealed what the assignments were going to be. And I was given one of the lowest assignments that that they had available. I was supposed to, you know, organize some outreach, little outreach meetings. And, uh, well, I I went and did that the best I could. But I remember uh, the, the meeting when the, the director gave us these assignments, he wanted us to keep quiet and not respond and not say anything, and he played a tape, a little song, with very simple lyrics that were repeated over and over again. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And all next day when I was at my job and working, those words were echoing in my head. Learn to be the servant of all. What does that mean? Learning to give credit where credit is due. Boy, I, 
I love to get credit. I, uh, I always have. I, um, a few years later, about seven years later, I had the opportunity to be uh, to get a, a position and a title in the missionary organization that I was working with. It was Campus Crusade. I was working over in East Africa. And I got the opportunity to, to be a team leader, to be a, an area coordinator, and to have my own responsibility and, and sort of my own ministry that I could take credit for. And uh, I was so excited about this. Uh, the thing that I learned is that when someone else is in charge, I am full of ideas and inspiration and direction of how things should happen. But when I'm in charge, they're all gone. And I'm sort of at sea, and I don't know what to do. Uh, it's, but uh, I, I just have had this experience over and over again of, of coming face-to-face with my own ambition and realizing that it's not godly, that it's not good. And uh, then I went to seminary and I got to study. And here's where, where I was really able to excel and I was able to do very well uh, in something that, you know, you get grades. And what do those do? Nothing. Uh, but, you know, I was able to get credit. I was able to actually get credits on paper and to get a, a GPA and get points and sort of earn all the, the, the tokens. And you can't cash them in for anything. Grades are worthless. It's the person, it's the quality of the person that counts. And so, uh, once again, you know, a big effort to get some credit, and I'm, I'm sort of brought low. Uh, you know, this is, I think, I'm not the only person who experiences this sort of thing. Uh, a fellow who put it very well, uh, David Yonggi Cho. He's the pastor of the uh, Yoida Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. Uh, he was in Nairobi once, and I didn't hear the talk, but I heard, I heard people uh, quoting this line that he made, that he said. He said, um, you know, before when he began his ministry, that he was very ambitious, that he wanted a big Cho. That's his name. He wanted a great Cho, a famous Cho. And, uh, you know, the funny thing, well, the, I, I could really empathize with that. Just wanting credit being ambitious. But we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And God uh, owns the credit, all the credit for everything good about you belongs to God. So uh, I just want us to walk through this verse and just look at sort of at a phrase at a time and see in what sense Paul is saying that God deserves the credit and how God is claiming the credit for everything that's good in us. And of course, uh, the first phrase stands right out and says it very plainly, for we are God's workmanship. And of course, God is our creator. And so all that we are is his invention, it's his idea. So all the the wonderful things that are in you, all the wonderful you know, sort of way that you have of relating to people and your natural kindness and uh, you know, all the good things about you, your, your cleverness, your great ideas, uh, whatever it is, your physical strength or other attributes, all of them are God's idea and God put them in you 
for his own display, for his own purposes. So we're God's workmanship. And everybody in the world is God's workmanship. And so God deserves all the credit for everything that we do. But I think that Paul is after something else here. I think that when Paul says we are God's workmanship, he isn't saying it in that sense that everybody is God's workmanship because God is the creator. I think that he's saying that our salvation, for those of us who have faith in Christ, our salvation is God's work. And we are God's new workmanship recreating Christ Jesus. Just look uh, at the, the first word of verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. And what that does is connects us back to the ideas before it, especially in verse 9, that our salvation is not by works, but we are God's workmanship. That, that, we should, that no one should boast in verse 9. And the whole point is that we can't boast about being holy, righteous people. That we can't boast that we're better than the other people and that we're chosen to be part of God's kingdom because of something in us. But rather, we are God's workmanship. And uh, so the whole purpose of our salvation is for a display of God's kindness and grace. And that's what, what uh, Paul is saying in this passage. And so we're God's workmanship twice over. We're God's workmanship because he created us, and we're God's workmanship because he recreated us in Jesus Christ. It's the new birth. And there are many places in Scripture that say the same idea, that God has created us in salvation, that there's the old creation which has gone awry and that God has made a new creation. And so is 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, new things have come. God created you. You as a believer, you're God's workmanship. Uh, And even here in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and verse 24, uh, Paul comes back to this same idea. And he says, Uh, that we should put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you are a new creation, live as a new creation. Walk in the newness that God has made in you. God has recreated you as you believed in Christ. And so in Jesus' parable, he puts it uh, so plainly, so clearly, and uh, richly. He says, uh, you know, there are the the field is the world that the, the Son of Man goes and sows good seed in the world, but that the devil comes and plants the weeds so that they're the sons of God and the sons of the devil. And that's the language that John uses somewhere in, in his letter. Jesus uses it in the Gospel of John. That there are the weeds and there is the wheat. There are the ones who are born of God, who are God's work, and they're the ones who, as, as Paul says right here in Ephesians 2, they're following the ways of this world and the spirit uh, of the kingdom of the air who is at work among those who are disobedient. 
So there are two kinds of people. And uh, if you are a Christian, all the credit for that belongs to God. Anything good in you is God's doing. Whether it's something that's natural that you're born with, whether it's something supernatural and spiritual that, that has been added to you, God gets the credit for all of it. God wants the credit. He doesn't want to share it. So we are God's doing. We're his workmanship. In, in verse 10, uh, it's interesting. In Greek, they have a way of sort of highlighting a word or underlining a word as if it were pronounced more loudly. And the way that the Greek is written for verse 10, it would be like this. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's the word that gets the emphasis. And uh, God claims the credit for what you are. And we are workmanship. What workmanship is, if you look at an example of good workmanship, say it's a chair. What you say, well, it's a great chair. It's a good chair. But what I see is I see a mind that planned. I see attention to detail. I see time that was spent. I see thought and care. I see a vision in a person's heart all reflected in this chair. I see workmanship. That's something personal. That's something that comes from a person. And you are God's workmanship. You personally are a a display of God's own character and attention and skill and work. So that you, what you are, is a piece of clay. You're the piece of wood that God started with. And yeah, now you're a chair and everything, but all your chairness, all your humanity, all your wonderfulness is all a display of God's skill and planning. God claims the credit for everything good in you. And so the scriptures uh, emphasize this point uh, like in Romans 11.35, for who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Uh, And of course the answer is no one. So God calls us to give credit by worship, by praise, by thanksgiving. As we approach God, we should give him credit. And our hearts should, should bow with awe, with joy, being thrilled at what God has done in us that he has taken something ordinary, someone plain, and that he's made something wonderful. But uh, it's not just that your workmanship, it's not just that God has done something great in you, but look what God started with. And uh, the beginning of this this passage, the beginning of chapter 2, Paul describes what what God started with. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But God. And so... God began with junk, and we are salvage. Anything good in me, anything good in us, is salvage. 
that is, goods or property, saved from destruction in a calamity, like a flood or a wreck or a fire. Anything good in us is salvage. And uh, this is what we see, what, what comes to my mind, at least, as I, as I look at this next phrase. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ. And Paul talks about Christ, you know, he says that he, he preaches nothing but Christ and him crucified. That the central message about God is Christ, the central message about Christ is the cross. The greatest achievement of Christ, he achieved in his death. And all the rest flows from that. That the cross is the center of Christianity, where where love meets death, where punishment meets mercy, where where all the, the contradictions and the confusion of life come together and get their answer in the cross. And um, Christ is the Christ of the cross. When you're created in Christ Jesus, you're created by the one with the pierced hand. As Spurgeon said, the mark of the pierced hand is on everything. That uh, you're salvage. So Christ is the Savior, and he died to salvage those who were utterly lost. And Paul gives us a picture of this right here back in verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5 of Ephesians. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You're created in Christ Jesus. Here's the dead body. Picture the dead body. No life. And God does something to make it alive. He says you were made alive even when you were dead in transgressions. We're spiritually dead without spiritual life and God breathes spiritual life into us and we're created in Christ Jesus. At the creation, at the beginning, God formed a man out of the dust of the ground and there he was. And there was no life in him. And then, God, the breath of life, according to Genesis chapter 2. And so in the same way, here we are, we've got the life, and we're living, our hearts are beating, our minds are operating, we're willing this and that, we're doing things, we're making plans, we have feelings, but spiritually, we have no relationship with God, no love for God, Everything about us is a little bit awry. All the good in us is turned somehow in the wrong direction so that everything always comes up self. And God breathes into us spiritual life, a new vision of God, a new love for God, a new ability to live for God, a new ability to hear his word and respond, to love our neighbor and to be what God means us to be. As we look at the world, as we look at creation, God made it for a purpose. He made it to show his goodness. And nobody can look at the world around us and say that it could not be improved. No one can look at the world around us and say that it clearly reveals 
infinite wisdom and goodness as it is today. There's something drastically wrong with the world. I mean, look, it's not a strange argument. This is the reason why atheists say they don't believe in God, because how could a good, powerful, <coughs> excuse me, loving and to happen the things which happen. So something is wrong with the world and God recreates the world. He's making it new. Something is wrong with me and God recreates me and makes me new. You're created in Christ Jesus. Out of what? Out of junk. Out of a calamity. We're salvaged. God starts with what's wrecked. It's like Junkyard Wars, that television show where they get a couple of teams of people and they put them in a junkyard with a workshop that's equipped. And these are some people who have some engineering experience. And they, they get an assignment like they're supposed to make a steam-powered race car. Or they're supposed to make a, a catapult that can throw a Volkswagen. Or, you know, they get some crazy assignment. They're supposed to go out in the junkyard and find all kinds of old stuff and design something that can work and achieve whatever the purpose is. And at the end of the show, you look and you see these things, and they're fabulously designed. But you don't say, my, there sure was a lot of good junk in that junkyard. What you say is, my, these guys sure were clever to be able to make something useful out of all that junk they started with. I mean, it was completely worthless. It had no use. And they made something valuable. And that's what God is doing. He's starting with junk like us, if you'll pardon the, the, the slam against our self-esteem. But this is what God takes pride in, that he starts with the likes of you and me. And he makes something wonderful. It's not what he started with that we were so good, but he started with something that was so bad and he did something so wonderful with it. And that's what he gets the praise and the glory for. That's what God is boasting about. That's what God is showing. That's what the workmanship is. And that's his whole point in chapter 2, verse 7. His whole point in, in this whole plan of salvation. He does it all in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Anything good in you is salvage. God is doing something wonderful in us to show off his skill. And it isn't that he started with such wonderful material. It's that he started with junk. So, the purpose of the whole project is to glorify God. Look at, back at Ephesians 2, verse 10, our verse. And uh, we, are, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And just moving on, to do good works. There's the purpose. There's the purpose of God's workmanship. So remember that any good works 
that come out of you are his doing because this word good, chapter 2 and verse 1, where it says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Those were the works that we began with. But we are God's workmanship created to do good works. It's God's purpose and he does it. And then uh, at the end of verse 10, good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. For us to do. The, the translation here is good, but it, it takes out something that, that you see in the original. That word at the very end of verse 10 is, uh, is really the word to walk. He created, he prepared good works for us so that we would walk in them. And that's the same word that comes in, cha- in chapter 2, verse 2, at the beginning of this passage. The transgressions and sins in which you used to live, in which you used to walk. So what he's saying is, you used to walk like this in transgressions and sins and in all these ways, and God has done a work in you so that now you walk in a new way. And so he uses the word walk to connect it together. And so we're salvage. God started with junk, and he makes what's wonderful and glorious, what's holy and good for him. You know, God looks and, and says, look, you think what I've done with, with Seth is good. Well, here's someone who was even worse, and I made him better than Seth. And, you know, God's showing off his skill. It's about him. He gets the credit. He longs for it. And so what we need to do is to respond the way the Apostle Paul responded and have the desire to serve. Have the desire to serve. Look in, in uh, 1 Timothy, if you would, or else just listen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That's 1 Timothy 1.15. So Paul says, I am the lowest of the dregs, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Why did God save Paul, the worst of sinners? To hold him up as an example, to say, see what I can do. Are you an example of God's grace? Are you desperately wicked, desperately in need? Are you the worst of sinners? Is there something wonderful that God can show in you? Or are there just a lot of things that you can take credit for? What is there in your life that God can take credit for? You know, I think a lot of times what happens is that we, we, we get this, that we look at verse 10 and, and many teachings like it in the Bible, Ephesians 2.10, and we, we see that it says we ought to do good works, and so we know, yeah, I ought to be a person you know, who's really good, you know, someone people can look up to and admire. 
I want to be someone who's ethical and have integrity. You know, a decent person, not one of those crummy people. And so we take the verse and we start trying to be good people. And that's the opposite of what Ephesians 2.10 is teaching. Rather, it's teaching that God takes <laughs> the junk and makes what's good so that he will be admired. The point is not for us to get credit, but for God to get credit. Are we willing to admit to each other why we need God in any particular specific way? Paul was able to, to admit openly what kind of person he had been. And Paul knew what kinds of people the Christians had been that he's preaching to. Are you hiding what it is that God has saved you from? Are you really saved from it? If you're really saved from it, then it comes in the light and you're not ashamed of it anymore. It's just, that's what I was. But praise God, he has worked in me. He's done something new. And so the glory goes to God. And you're not worried about trying to get credit and trying to appear like a really cool person, but you just want it to be seen. What a great God you have so that people don't go around and say, boy, that's Seth. He's, he's just great. He's a fabulous person. You know, that's what I want people to say. But, but God wants people to go and say, that's Seth. I mean, look what he is. Miserable, you know, foolish, bumbling you know, guy that he is, self-centered and everything. And God is doing something with him. What a wonderful God he has. Are people praising your God or are they praising you? Uh, The last uh, thing I just wanted us to look at in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, that uh, these good works are, are works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And uh, they're prearranged works, they're prepared works. And uh, this, this, this idea that God prepared them in advance, it's, it's the same idea that occurs somewhere else in Paul's writings in chapter 9, verse 23, and he uses the same word to say that, there were, that, that God wants to show the riches of his kindness to the objects of his mercy, the people that he wants to show mercy to, who were prepared in advance for glory. And it's interesting, that, that passage too, Uh, God talks about clay. He talks about lumps of clay and how he molds them the way that he wants to. And God also prepares for us the things that we're to do. And this verse here assures us that God is sovereign. And that's just, uh, it's just a, a basic teaching about God. Paul doesn't really argue that God is sovereign. He just assumes that we know it, and he moves on from there. It's a basic idea about God, but why does Paul bring it up here, that God is sovereign over the good things that we might do? I think he does it to pull together, at the same time, two ideas that are very hard to hold together. One is that good works are obligatory. They are not optional for a Christian. And the other is 
that good works are all of grace, that they're all a gift, that it's nothing that you have in yourself. Try to hold on to one of those ideas by itself, and you'll get into trouble. Try to hold on to two of them, and you'll get into confusion. How can good works be obligatory? I mean, if good works are obligatory, if I have to do good works, then where is grace? It's gone. I've got to go and do good works. I have to. So if I hold on to that one, then I go off the track and I lose the gospel, and it becomes all about me doing good works. But if I hold on to the other one, good works are all of grace. It's all a gift. If I try to hold on to that one, then I find myself saying, then why try? What's all the trouble about? Why make an effort? It's all a gift. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. I mean, it's God's responsibility, right? You try to hold on to those two together, and you can't. But Paul helps us to hold on to the two at the same time. Good works are obligatory, but they're all of grace because God prepared them for you in advance so that you should walk in them. God's sovereignty holds all of these things together. The God who commands the good works, the God who requires them of you, is the God who works in you to create you as a new person to do the good works, the God who prepares them for you in advance. And so, um, 1 Corinthians 10.13, for no temptation has seized you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will with the temptation also provide a way out. He'll be there in advance, providing, prearranging a way out so that you can bear up under it, so that you can do good works. God prepares them in advance for you. This idea of God's sovereignty can be jarring and disturbing. But what I want us just to do is to be encouraged to trust God, to trust him that we can do good works, and to be bold. Don't just sit and wait and say, oh, you know, I can't really do anything great for the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm content and I'll just live my life. God is preparing you to do wonderful, amazing things. Step out into the things that God is preparing for you. Look for the challenges. Look for the opportunities. You know, I, I'm, I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone. But let's pray and look for new, exciting ministries and work and uh, achievements and uh, changes in the world that we can make, that God is preparing for us. Let's step out and not be afraid. Let's see what God is, is preparing for us and is ready to do. And the idea of God's sovereignty will be a great encouragement. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for the encouragement that we know that you're with us, that we know that you've created us for your purposes, that you are claiming credit 
for us. Whether we feel like we're not worthy of a lot of credit or we're hungry to get more or we feel like we've really achieved a lot and we're sort of grooming ourselves in our self-satisfaction, Father, you would show us that you're the one who claims credit. Father, may we bow in worship before you. May we humbly open ourselves to serve others as we realize that you've created us for your glory, not to receive credit for ourselves. And Father, may we be confident to step out boldly and trust that you're opening doors for us. Father, you've prepared us for wonderful things. You've prepared us so that we'll be objects of admiration, not so that people will say what great people we are, but that they'll say what a great God you are. Thank you that you've entered into this close relationship with us where you put your reputation, your title, your name on the line, and you get credit from us. Now be with us. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.